Hi, I'm Lynn. And I'm Jan. Welcome to the Lamplighters podcast. Lamplighters is a community that encourages women to grow in our faith through the study of God's Word. We are grateful to be on a journey with you this year as we travel through the Bible, following the stories of some of the women who have impacted our faith. Last week, we studied Abigail, a wise woman of incredible influence who taught us about how to manage conflict and who was the exact opposite of one of the women we studied this week. So lead on, Lynn. Yeah, this week we've got two women on opposite ends of the spectrum. First, we have a widow whose faith in God is our example. And second, we have a woman whose faith in herself and her false gods ruins more lives than can be counted, Mm -hmm. ultimately including her own. There is just so much to compare and contrast with these women that I could focus solely on that. But what I've decided I want to do is begin with the widow. And once we moved to Jezebel, the comparisons are going to be really obvious. So it always helps to know where we are in the story before we get started. So I'm going to take a page out of your book, Jan, and bring us up to speed with just a little bit of background. Yay. I love background. We begin in the book of Kings, a time after Judges when God is letting the people see just what it's like to get what they want, Hmm. mighty kings. And it's not going so well for them. And as we enter this story, a particularly bad king is ruling. It's King Ahab. The worship of the one true God is at an all-time low. In fact, it's really almost non-existent. King Ahab's wife has brought her religion in and demanded that it be followed. So statues of Baal and Asherah are her false gods, and they were erected all over the land of Israel. And places of idol worship were literally on every corner. Okay, now I'm going to interrupt here, Lynn, because there's something in this background we need to know for the coming weeks, Okay, right? After the death of King Solomon, David's kingdom split in two. Mm -hmm. The northern kingdom of Israel— which is a little confusing. There were 10 tribes that went with that one. Right. And the southern kingdom of Judah. So we have Israel and Judah. Ahab ruled in Israel. Mm -hmm. And this is about 100 years after the split. And he and his lovely wife, who was from the coast, remember all those enemies? Mm -hmm. Uh, They typified the evil that had led to the demise of the whole kingdom and also it would lead to the demise of the northern kingdom. So Ahab and Jezebel are in the northern kingdom. Okay, thanks for that clarification. All right, King Ahab is so wicked and so out of control that God has sent the prophet Elijah to him to declare a drought. There would be no rain, not even dew, because of Israel's evil idolatry until God tells Elijah to declare that the drought is over. As Israel went into this extreme drought, God tucked Elijah safely away from the murderous Ahab by first sending Elijah to a stream where God had ravens make a daily bread delivery. That's a story for another time. Oh, but it's such a great story. (laughs) (laughs) But eventually, even that stream dries up. And so God sends Elijah to a widow in the Gentile village of Zarephath. That's where we enter today's lesson. Lesson. Now, the big plot twist here is that the wife of King Ahab that I mentioned before, she is none other than Jezebel. 
it seems like God might have been testing Elijah's faith a little bit here because Sidon was Jezebel's home territory. And at a time when it's not safe for the prophet to publicly show his face anywhere in Israel for fear of being killed by King Ahab because he's being blamed for this drought, God hid Elijah in the heart of enemy territory. Mm. And God didn't send Elijah to a wealthy merchant or a landowner. God sent Elijah to a poor, nearly destitute widow. We know from some of the stories we've already studied this year that in biblical times, widows held very, a very precarious position in society. Unless they remarried or had family who could take care of them, widows were often destined to live out their lives in poverty, really not knowing where their next meal would come from. God sent Elijah to one of the least hospitable places he could go and to a person who was one of the least likely to be able to care for him. But as we know, Elijah was obedient. And in his obedience, we will see a story unfold of God's sovereignty. You know, the stories of Elijah, who was one of the big gun prophets, Mm -hmm. right? Mm That are fascinating and well worth a close read. Um, 1 Kings 17 through 19 and 2 Kings 1 through 2, if you're interested. But perhaps at this point, after the Raven Waiters, Mm -hmm. which, as you know, is just a fun story, Elijah may have thought, what next? Mm -hmm. Well, being sent into the home territory of his nemesis, Queen Jezebel, was a very unexpected turn of events, which is typical of the way God works sometimes, right? (laughs) Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. It is. So we start the story with Elijah encountering the widow at the gate, right as he enters town, which is where we see Mm -hmm. more of God's provision. Um, Providence brought him, brought the widow right there to the gate. She's out gathering wood on the streets. That's how destitute she is. Mm. She not only doesn't have wood, she doesn't have anyone to gather the wood for her. So she's out in the street gathering wood so that she can make a last meal for herself and her son. So as she will later say, so that they could then go lay down and die. Mm. Now that is destitute by anyone's definition. So let's look at what happens next. Elijah approaches her and he asks for a drink. She has nothing. And yet when a stranger asks for water, she goes to generously get it. And remember that they're in a, a, this is a kind of drought that you can't even imagine. Mm. So it's not just a matter of turning on a tap. And also it's important to note that she didn't ask for money to get him any water, which under the circumstances would not have been out of the ordinary. She could have charged him for this water because it was so rare, but she just turns around and she goes to get it. But before that can even happen, Elijah asks for more. He asks for bread. It's crazy, really. She explains to him that she doesn't have enough, but Elijah tells her that if she makes a loaf of bread and brings it to him first, the God of Israel will provide flour and oil until the rain comes again. How astonishing. It is astonishing. You wonder what she was thinking at this point. It is astonishing. She is not being asked for leftovers. She's being asked for the first loaf. And she's already said that she only has enough to make one loaf. But she took this promise of God's made through this prophet that she would be repaid with interest, and she was obedient. 
Now, how's that for faith? Mm. She gave her first because she trusted in God's promise of provision. By the law, the first fruits were God's. The tithe was taken out of the first part. This widow's faith enabled her to deny herself and to depend on the divine promise. I think her faith, her faith was as miraculous as the miracle of the unending flower and the oil that mm-hmm. followed. So God was powerful enough to protect his prophet right in the center of Jezebel's home turf. And in his sovereignty, God also knew this widow was ready to know him. So he sent his prophet to her. Elijah was seeking sustenance. God was seeking the widow. God's purposes are so much higher and wider than we can ever imagine. You know, God tells us, go here or go there, do this or do that. And if you're anything like me, the first thing I often think about is myself. How is this going to affect my life? I assume that obedience will mean some kind of sacrifice that I may not want to make. What if instead of thinking about myself, what if my first response was to wonder how God was blessing me? Because God is continuously positioning us for his blessing when we're obedient. He places us in situations and with people he wants in our lives because he uses all of that to his glory. It's his bigger purpose. The widow responded in faith to what she knew about God, and she was obviously rewarded. Well, and her faith was growing, too. Yes, yes. And that comment is a powerful reminder. Elijah was seeking sustenance, but God was seeking her. Mm -hmm. God is always seeking us. People are always his priority. And he asks us to respond out of what we know about him, not out of what we don't know. Mm-hmm. We, we don't know the outcome, right. but that's not what he's asking of us. Right. Now, personally, I happen to think Elijah's ask was over the top, not from his perspective, but from the widow's. Mm-hmm. You know, think about it. He asked her to give up everything. Literally. Literally. Yeah. And this wasn't just about flour and oil. In deciding to give Elijah the first loaf of all of the oil and flour that she had, she was giving up her son mm-hmm. because he was going to die yeah. without sustenance. At this point, I think she trusted in Elijah's faith, not necessarily her own. Yeah. That's a little bit of a distinction, too. Yeah. Okay, but that's not the end of the story. In the same way that God tested Elijah's faith by sending him into the territory of the very people who wanted him dead, he also tested this new faith of the widow. She was obedient and she was blessed, but then there was something tragic and unexpected. Her only son gets sick and dies. Now, Mm. here's a reaction I can fully understand. She rails against Elijah, forgetting the past mercies and miracles, really wondering what she has done to deserve this torture. The distraught mother blames herself. She asks Elijah if he came to them just so that she might be made aware of her sin and watch her son die in response to her sinfulness. Fortunately, Elijah knows that's not how God works, but he's equally confused as to why God would allow this kind woman's son to die after she had proven so selfless. So he picks the boy up and takes him upstairs and he prays over him 
and God hears his cries and heals the boy. Elijah then carried the boy downstairs and presented him back to his mother. Mm. When the widow saw that her son was raised from the dead, she proclaimed, Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. The widow of Zarephath had heard of God and knew him as Israelite's God. When God used Elijah to provide for her earthly needs, she recognized that Elijah's God took care of her. But when God delivered her son from the dead, she understood that he wasn't just a God for the Israelites. He was her God too. Mm-hmm. And this story of a widow who remained unnamed in the Bible was important enough to have her faith and obedience recorded in the Bible for history. Her name didn't matter, but her faith and obedience will forever be remembered. She taught us that there is no hopelessness in God and there is no lack in God. Then what I love about this story is the movement of the widow's faith from just enough, because she knew Elijah as a man of God, to tremendous faith because of a personal experience and a relationship with God herself. Mm -hmm. And that's a journey I can relate to. You know, sometimes I am just hanging on because of someone else's faith. But then God reveals himself in an unexpected and and glorious way, and my own faith comes alive and grows. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she's an amazing woman, and her journey, I think, parallels a lot of us. Um, But— But we probably should go back to that other woman in this lesson too, right? We have things to learn from her as well. Oh, oh yeah, we do. But we're going to (laughs) take a sharp turn when we talk about this woman because she's a totally different character. Let's take a look at Jezebel. The name, even after all these hundreds, thousands of years, automatically brings to mind a woman by reputation who strives to undermine the authority of others and will use anything even murder, to get what she wants of power, prestige, and fortune. Jezebel is known by many as the name representing a woman with dangerous and harmful intentions in mind who never hesitates to create the downfalls of others in order for her own plan to work. Mm. Jezebel was a real woman. She was a Phoenician princess, and her marriage to Ahab was likely arranged to keep peace between two countries. Her kingdom worshipped the nature god Baal, and after the wedding, Queen Jezebel continued worshipping Baal in her new home, despite how this angered the townspeople of Israel. She even brought 800 of her own prophets, prophets of Baal, into the kingdom to encourage the worship of Baal by others. And when the prophets of Yahweh stood up against Jezebel's promotion of Baal worship, She had them killed. I mean, it was a slaughter of— She she was ruthless. Yes, she was ruthless. She was ruthless. Yeah. It was the ruthless exercise of power. Yeah. Which is not exactly a stable platform for ruling. No, it's not. So the part of her story that we are studying is about what she does to get a vineyard for her husband, King Ahab. Now, Ahab has gone down in history as really the wickedest king Israel ever had. But it looks like his heathen wife, Jezebel, ruled him from behind the scenes and may very well have been worse than he was. Mm. The story begins with Ahab trying to buy a vineyard that he had been coveting, but he was rejected by the man who owned it. The man's name was Naboth. And Naboth was 
obedient to God. God had told him, do not sell. And so he refused to sell it to him. Now, we know because he was king that Ahab had great wealth and plenty of land and vineyards of his own. But his desire for what he didn't have what is what seemed to control him. He was so upset, he took to his bed and refused to eat. Now, I don't know if that's just being dramatic or petulant or what, but Jezebel didn't like it one bit. And she set <laughs> out like to change. Overreaction. <laughs> yes, she set out to change the situation. She's going to fix it. She's going to fix it. Well, when she realized that Ahab wasn't going to use his power as king to take what he wanted, I mean, he could have obviously just taken this vineyard, right? Mm -hmm. She set about to do it herself. Jezebel's murder spree that began when she brought her religion into the country Mm -hmm. continued as she concocted a scheme to get the vineyard. She forged letters under Ahab's name and used his seal, requesting a fast. Additionally, the letters ordered Naboth to be charged with blasphemy against God, which would be supported by the false testimony of two scoundrels. Hmm. (laughs) The orders also demanded that Naboth be stoned to death, which I can't imagine how horrible that would be. Jezebel's plan was successfully carried out exactly as planned, and Naboth was executed. Because, of course, who would dare to defy her? No one. She's got a lot of power. Well, and it doesn't take much thought to realize how many of God's laws she is breaking to do this. Yeah. Well, as soon as Ahab got word of Naboth's death, he went to take possession of the vineyard. He was happy. But the Lord had instructed the prophet Elijah Hmm. to go, and he met Ahab out in the wilderness at the vineyard and confronted him about Jezebel's conspiracy against Naboth, as well as Ahab's sinful actions that were causing the whole of Israel to sin. Then Elijah told Ahab that the actions would have consequences, and we hear that all of his male descendants would be wiped out and that Jezebel would die and be eaten by dogs. It's all very specific and very graphic, and it all in time came to pass. You can imagine what a horrifying prophecy that was to Ahab oh, yeah. about his sons and his line would not continue, but also uh, about Jezebel, because when dogs devoured Jezebel, not enough of her was left for a proper burial, just her head in her hands, I think. Well, and as, left. You yeah. know, as a queen, that was... Yeah. yeah, and it was a horrible fate in that culture to be right. eaten by dogs. So it was very degrading. I would think in any culture, it's a horrible fate to be yeah. eaten by dogs. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. When we look at these two women, we see one very obvious difference. One of the women, when faced with the choice, turned toward God. And the other one, when faced with the same choice, turned away. We know Jezebel by name and reputation. You know, in scripture, she's described as seductive, controlling, and manipulative. And with her power, she had people murdered to get whatever she wanted. Mm. What Jezebel wished for more than anything was control, which was apparent in her actions. Jezebel's name has come to symbolize traits such as wickedness and manipulation and seduction, making it a symbol of female treachery to this day. Jezebel's pride... Her selfishness and her greed ultimately led to her demise and death. And God's judgment, judgment as promised, was brought to fruition. Now, contrast to that is the woman whose name we never know, the widow. We see her as a woman that we need to 
be like, be more like. Mm-hmm. Um, her generosity, it wasn't just generosity. She literally gave up everything. It was, it, yeah, yeah, it was all. Yeah. She gave it all. Her obedience and her trust, the, all those things set her apart. You know, she isn't perfect because none of us are. We saw that when she lost faith when her son died. But even after her faith is tested, she ultimately returns back towards God in faith and gratitude. Now, Jezebel is almost a parody of evil. It's so easy to look at her as a murderous, idol-worshiping queen and think that we are so far removed. But I think there are parts of her that are not so far away from us. They just Mm -hmm. might not be quite so exaggerated. I mean, how many times have I confessed to having an issue with control? You know, what about envy? Does envy for what someone else have ever creep into your heart? This whole lesson is about what motivates us. And I think it's a good time to look at what motivates us. Mm-hmm. What do we need to do to be more like the widow and have her motivation of pleasing God and less like Jezebel with motivation of pleasing ourselves? You know, there is such a contrast um, between the widow and Jezebel, but there is also a contrast between Jezebel and the woman we studied last week, Abigail. Mm -hmm. Abigail was a woman of influence. Jezebel was a woman of power. And because Jezebel is so, such a parody of evil, as you said, Mm -hmm. it's easy for us to distance ourselves from her. But we all have a little bit of Jezebel Mm -hmm. in us and hopefully a little bit of the Abigail and of the widow too. Um, it's, it reminds me of that story about the two wolves fighting, mm-hmm. you know, which one's going to win, mm-hmm. the one you feed. Mm-hmm. So here's the question for the week. How are you feeding your Jezebel? And how are you feeding your widow or mm-hmm. your Abigail? Mm-hmm. Okay. Until next time. And we get to know a queen next week. Mm-hmm.